Hello and welcome. We are happy to be back with another episode of Positively Pro-Life podcast featuring another wonderful guest. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, and it aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen the culture of life. I'm your host, Premal Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me today is our Executive Director, Christopher Pashaw. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Remmel. I'm filling in for the intrepid Maria Gallagher, who's on well-deserved vacation, but I have done this before, so hopefully it'll all come back to me. I'm really glad that you so graciously accepted and were willing to do this. Um, for decades now, uh, women have been at the forefront of the abortion deba debate. Slogans such as, my body, my choice, has screamed at men to be silent on this very important issue of life. Our guest today is a firm believer that abortion is neither a woman's or a man's issue, but a human issue. He also believes that men and fathers are uniquely positioned to speak up and stand for life. In a short while, Dr. David Russell, author of the book, Through My Father's Eyes, will join us to speak more about it. But before we go into the guest interview, uh, we will have a small story of inspiration. Today's inspiration comes from, a is of a father and daughter whose story was picked up by the CBS News. Now it is titled, he didn't want his daughter who has cognitive and physical disabilities to feel left out. So he built a fully accessible theme park. Now the story goes like this. Morgan Hartman was born with both physical and cognitive disabilities. For years though, she lacked a diagnosis. One thing she did have, a happy spirit. Her dad, Gordon Hartman, never wanted to see that spirit dulled, but unfortunately, at times it was. In 2006, he says, we were on a family vacation where I watched Morgan not be able to participate in a pool activity with three other children. I was simply because she was not able to be verbal. It almost puts a lump in your throat because it gives you a sad feeling that all Morgan wanted to participate. He, she just wanted to play. After seeing his daughter excluded, Hartman started on a quest to create a space where no one felt left out. And his idea was an all-inclusive theme park. Now he had this theme park, um, he built it in San Antonio and it's called Morgan's Wonderland. And he shares another experience where people have come and shared their stories. Um, there, are, there are individuals who he says, for far too long, I think individuals have to, had to watch and say, I wish I could. And here at Morgan's Wonderland and all the different Morgan's venues, you don't watch, you participate. So this theme park, which was, which was born out of a father's desire to see his daughter enjoy life, and to see her spirit not be dulled is uh, is open and available. And I think you can go on there and read more about the story. Uh, he, he shares stories of people who have come from different states, uh, kids who have never been able to enjoy uh, theme parks because of their disabilities, have a place to really come and do what other people do. So hats off to this father. We are um, not yet, uh, we are, I mean, we, I guess every day is a, is a day to celebrate Father's Day, even though we're just entering into the month where we officially celebrate it. So um, that's our story and inspiration for this week. 
Thank you, Remmel. That was quite beautiful. I've never been to San Antonio, but I would definitely want to check it out. Um, would you believe that your intrepid executive director was once general counsel for an amusement park in Wildwood, New Jersey? So I don't think it was dedicated toward the same salvific or redemptive purpose, but that's really a beautiful testimony of, of a father trying to, uh, you know, do, do his best for his, his daughter and, and preserve her memory. Wow, I didn't know that. Yep. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> with Fun us. facts. Yes, every day we learn something new. Mm -hmm. Now on to our guest. Um, Dr. David Russell is a retired veterinarian who now lives in Waynesboro, Virginia. He has served in the military for close to three decades in both active duty and reserve services. Russell has authored Through My Father's Eyes, based off his of his own experience and reflections of what abortion has done to women, men, and families. He has been a frequent speaker in the fight to end abortion, and he is also an ordained deacon of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe and brings a unique and personal perspective on abortion, its effects on men, and men's potential to help end the destruction of innocent human life. So welcome, Dr. Russell. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, and hello from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. It's so good to have you here. Now, we just wanted to, we can start off this interview by um, by sharing your story. Could you tell a little bit about how the scourge of abortion has touched your life? Sure. It um, This story goes back many, many years. Uh, it seems like another lifetime, actually. Uh, Many years ago, I was with a lady, not my wife of today. I came home one day from work and she says, I'm pregnant and I'm getting an abortion, just all in one sentence. Well, in those days, it was just a few years after Roe v. Wade, none of us really understood the impact of abortion. We hadn't been formed on it either spiritually or emotionally, let alone had much scientific education on it. We only knew what we heard on campus, on the streets, at work, and most of that information, as you well know, was false. At any rate, the discussion raged for some days, but the gist of it was, I'm getting this abortion, and you will support me, or I will leave this relationship and have the abortion anyway. And I really didn't have much choice. So, in thinking that I could save the relationship, I went ahead and supported that abortion. And I remember sitting in that abortuary. It was kind of a dingy old brick building. It had uh, masonry block walls on the inside and an old linoleum floor. Uh, the waiting room furniture, we all remember, it was that old plastic stuff stuff with a, uh, a chrome frame around it. And as I sat there, Nobody would look at me. No one would speak to me. Nobody asked me what my opinion was, if my son should die that day or what I wanted. It's like I was invisible. But I do remember that it actually seemed to get darker that day. It was as though somebody had sucked all of the joy out of life. Some years later, I figured out that was the moment when I lost my innocence. Mm. 
to fast forward like so many men, I was angry, I was hurt, I was uh, felt like a failure as a man. So I stuffed it in some very dark, dusty closet in the back of my mind. I didn't think about my son. I didn't talk about my son. I told no one that I had lost a son to abortion. And I felt like it was a violation that I had forsaken my my deepest obligations as a man. So years later, 27 to be exact, I was part of a formation uh, system in my church, and our assignment one weekend was to accompany a bunch of pro-life advocates on a prayer vigil outside an abortion clinic in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And as I stood outside on that sidewalk, I felt the hair on the back of my neck beginning to stand up because I realized it was the same street, the same neighborhood, the same building that my son had died in some 27 years before. In the meantime, I didn't drive down the street. I wouldn't go to that part of town. You know, was I suppressing it? Yes, of course I was. But the assignment continued after the prayer vigil. I stood there looking around and thinking, someone in this crowd, even though I've never told a soul, must know my ugly secret. And I was intensely uncomfortable. And the final part of the assignment was to write a paper on our experiences that afternoon. And that made me pull some strings from my own life. And as I pulled and unraveled many years of of suppressed memories, one thing led to another until I realized I had this whole dangled, tangled ball of emotions and suppressed memories and suppressed emotions. It was a profound experience. And then I began reading about the effects of abortion on people in general, and at the time, people were beginning to look at men as well. And finally, I got the courage up to begin to speak to men and women that I knew shared that experience. And I found common threads in our stories. And if I did what I call the biological math, we have lost tens of millions of children just in this country, more than the total death toll from the Second World War. And Lord only knows how many children have died from drug-induced abortions. The number of men in America with this kind of a situation is just staggering. Yes, and I think that's so often overlooked uh, in today's society as in the the time that, uh, I guess, in all of these decades since Roe v. Wade. But um, could you also just share with us, did this, how did this affect you um, and and your family? once, because then you were married and you had kids of your own and grandkids. Um, did this have an effect on you? Absolutely, and, and not a good one. I, I approached the subject, perhaps because of my, my ministry, through the spirituality of manhood. Now, with spirituality, often we're talking about prayer life and good works and alms that try to bring us closer to God. I'm talking about something more 
innate, more visceral, and that is basically what does it mean to be a man? What is a manly trait? And in my own mind, I've narrowed this down to three things. One is we are protectors. Another is that we are providers. And third is that we are the people who are tasked to carry forward, to teach, and to lead the lore of the society. You know, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be a Christian? At its deepest level, abortion causes men to violate all of those tenets. Certainly, we haven't protected our unborn children, nor have we protected the mothers of those children. We can't provide for our children that aren't here anymore. So we've lost right there. And we certainly haven't led the lore of society that screams at us to protect life. If we had done so, we reason anyway, that such a thought never would have entered our household, never would have entered our culture. All of this causes men to suppress their emotions. We are not comfortable, any married lady could probably tell you this, we're not comfortable in displaying vulnerable emotions, and yet vulnerability is what this is all about. So we put these things down, and the guilt that we feel, we stuff it. We don't want to admit it to anyone. It's not safe. We stuff our grief, because if we express our grief, then we have to admit to what we've been a part of, and we're angry. We're angry at the world. We're angry at God. We're angry at the women that had the abortion. We're angry at the physicians that performed them. We're angry at society and everybody who has a part of this thing, but mostly we're angry at ourselves. And even though we stuff those negative emotions down, we hide them, they still come out not in such good ways. Those of us who have worked with post-abortive people can tell you that divorces of marriages affected by abortion and the breakup of relationships that are is much more common than not. It's it's so common that it's almost a done deal. But then there's substance abuse. There is an inability to form new relationships because we always tend to carry that unaccounted for baggage from past relationships into the new ones. Uh, we feel unlovable and unloved, and therefore it's hard for us to give love. Uh, there can be failures in career, failures in other relationships. We know that post-abortive people have a lot more trouble bonding to existing children than those who have not been through an abortion. And I have to wonder, when we put men in that situation, if that's not responsible for a major portion of the increase in domestic violence that we see. So there's a lot of, of things that go on with men and they kind of mirror what women go through who are in the, the clutches of post-abortive syndrome. The biggest thing that I see as a difference is that men seem to be very good at suppressing the emotions. As I told you, I suppressed my feelings about this for 27 years. I'm not the record holder. Yeah, that's that's amazingly Powerful testimony, Dr. Russell. And just as you were talking, I mean, I don't have kids, but I do have good friends that 
similarly were affected by the abortion decision, one of whom actually leads a pro-life ministry in my home city of Philadelphia. Um, and another, as you, you talk about the suppression and the trauma and kind of the male emotional default response, um, he didn't have any particular dog in the fight. I mean, he knew what I do for a living. Um, but he did say at that instant, it, it sent chills down my spine when you talked about the dirty linoleum and the substandard condition of the facility in the darkness. And even he said, and this was after his abortion, he said, Chris, I've never felt lower as a human being. And I think there's a double powerlessness because you're not only abandoning your role as protector, but you don't have any legal right to either. You know, you you, <laughs> you were in the position where, you know, it was basically a fait accompli that you had to go along with. Um, but it's interesting. We had a former guest on the on the podcast, Mark Halk, who obviously is is a is a you know man of the hour in pro life circles. But he started a, a foundation called the Kingsmen, which specifically identifies what you were saying, trying to recapture the role mm -hmm. as father, as provider, and protector. Uh, and he himself has seven kids, so it's it's just your your testimony is really amazing. Yeah, and and I think the the court decisions, uh, you know, I think Danforth was was the first that have taken away our rights in this issue. It's part of the reason that men stay silent so much in this uh, in this debate. Not the only issue, but certainly as part of it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is just uh, draws from the fact that, you know, men don't feel like they can take a stand. And even other men will say that. I mean, I have friends or colleagues, at least, who are lawyers to say, well, you know, are you a woman? Well, then leave, leave, you know, no one wants your opinion. And I said, you know, the other way to look at it is that there's a defenseless child in play. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about rights and choices and liberties and freedoms, you know, the, the two parties, you know, an abortion always affects three parties. It's the child, the father, and the mother. And for whatever reason, you know, two of those parties are, are cut out are cut out from that decision. Um, and even here in our home state of Pennsylvania, I mean, one, one part of our uh, Abortion Control Act, which was later under review by the Supreme Court in Casey in 1992 was the spousal consent provision. Uh, which was one of the only mm -hmm. limitations that the Supreme Court actually struck down. Um, but to me, I mean, if the father, you know, at the biological level contributes 50% of the genetic material, why does he have absolutely no say in that? And I used to, before I did this, I, I ran an educational uh, pro-life nonprofit outreach in, in area high schools. And when we go to single sex prep schools, like the one I graduated from in Malvern, you know, I'd look around to the, to the young boys and I'd say, Hey guys, you know who has absolutely no rights in the abortion decision? And they would start looking around at each other. And this was obviously on the cusp of when they were going to become sexually active. Um, so I mean, I think it, it, you know, the fathers really have have an important role to play in this. Is as you said, just as a man, you know, we're naturally compelled to to nurture and protect women as well as our children. Uh, so I think this is this is a very you know powerful and an important story to tell. I think it's kind of ironic in the nation today where it seems like society in general is absolutely incensed with the idea that people of every stripe and persuasion and color shall be heard that we so glibly silence 50% of the population on what I think is probably the most important social aspect uh, of, our, of our culture today. 
And, uh, you know, we've been told, I, I think the pro-abortion faction are have actually in the past won the war of language by getting phrases in like this is a women's issue and this is health care. And the other big lie that, that I hear is that abortion is no big deal. Well, I beg to differ. It is a very big deal. And we only have to look at the crushed lives of the mothers and fathers to see that very clearly. Yes, what you said, spoke is so very true. Um, when we went for a conference um, recently, one of the things that they addressed is how a lot of times women are fighting for abortion rights because when they look at men, men are able to walk away from the responsibility of, of having a child while a woman cannot do that. So her alternative to um, the, the man's power to walk away, to abandon, is to kill her baby. So that, that's the equivalent power that the woman gets. And a lot of times, um, because of that, when we talk about healing, we also talk about, we kind of focus on post-abortive moms um, women who have suffered abortions, but not so much the men. Uh, we try to think that this does not affect men at all. So um, I was wondering, um, what does it really take for men to recognize the effects and seek um, healing for themselves? I think it takes a eureka moment for each and every man, that moment when it crystallizes in his mind that he has to deal with this what he's been a part of, what it has done to him and to those around him. Um, it's going to be different for so many different people. Uh, for me, my Eureka moment came over several days with that pro-life prayer vigil and then writing a paper about it. But like so many things, we have to admit that this was a real person who has died. Now, it takes a while in the healing process, but one of the most powerful moments in my life came when I could actually give my child a name. Because we don't mourn vague ideas or possibilities nearly as intensely as we mourn actual people. And naming is a powerful thing. So when I named Matthew, he became a real person to me. And it was a key for me to go on. Uh, it can be a very uncomfortable point, and, and I never like to push a man to name a child if he's had an abortion. That moment will come in his own healing, in his own time, but it's a powerful thing. I think we also have to recognize if someone, man or woman, shares with you the fact of abortion in their lives, they're sharing a very precious and very fragile piece of themselves, and they need to be handled with the utmost honor. In a way, for someone to tell you that, it's a compliment to you because they're trusting you with something that is extremely vulnerable for them. But I think we each have to, ex have to reach that eureka moment, and we have to realize that abortion isn't a vague concept, it's a real thing, and it's a very big thing in lives. It, it's life-changing. No doubt. Um, yeah, I think uh, it, it's also interesting you talked about, Dr. Russell, things you wouldn't think about, but actual places 
that have that eureka moment. So as you were talking about, you know, you recognize the time and place you were when you went through that trauma. As you were describing the clinic or the center, it, it reminded me of when I visited the Gosnell Clinic, uh, the Kermit Gosnell Clinic in Philadelphia and put my hands mm -hmm. to the bricks. And it was just, I, I honestly felt like it was a chamber of horrors. Like I could hear all those silenced voices and screams of those children. Oh, wow. Um, and I think that goes a, lot, a long way to just to localize that pain. Yeah, I mean, God created us as sensual people, and and it doesn't surprise me a bit that touching that clinic and being there and and engaging your senses in that clinic would have that effect on you. Uh, it certainly did on me. I I think it does on all of us, and I think that's a key to how we were created. Yes, um, your book is really a, a wonderful piece of work uh, with a lot of different approaches to this issue. And, and I think there are some things that you say um, about why men condone abortion. Could you just give a very, very briefly, we, I, we have less than two minutes left. So could you just briefly okay. touch on that? On why men condone abortion? Yes. I think, I think a lot of it is... Uh, because we have been told for so long, we've been brainwashed that it's a woman's issue. We don't have a right to speak to it. Uh, I think a lot of us have, oh, how would you say it, drunk that Kool-Aid, which is, it's not true, but there's so much of it out there. Sadly, also, with the advent of societal changes, men are, and manhood is being chipped away at so much that a whole generation of people now is less schooled in the responsibilities of manhood than they used to be. And uh, we've lost a big piece of society when we do that. Uh, the societal changes of abortion, uh, that's a whole talk right there by itself. Uh, there are people who are afraid that they think they're not ready. There are people who are just absolutely misinformed. You know, how many times do we... Hear people, oh, for example, the big one is after a rape, say, well, you've got to abort this child. Uh, we can't unrape that person. So people get misinformed. I think even physicians and psychologists have trouble with it. Uh, just very quickly, I asked the psychologists at a church counseling clinic one year, how many of them were treating people for post-abortion uh, uh, syndrome? Not one counselor raised their hand. Now, they were recognizing that people had trouble, but they weren't relating it to abortion. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. D David Russell, author of Through, Through My Father's Eyes. Thank Positive. you very much for Thank your you time. So much. And if someone would like a copy of my book, if you would share my email with them, I can make it available to them. Thank you very much. Happy Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us for the program today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. See you next week.